Informing America's farmers and ranchers. It's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us and letting us be part of your day. Here we are at midweek. Big event yesterday in Iowa with President Trump uh, talking about ethanol and some other issues. We'll get a report on that. The fuel ethanol workshop going on this week in Indianapolis. We'll talk with Robert White, the Vice President of Industry Relations for the Renewable Fuels Association, about that event and about what is going on in the countryside now that E15 has been approved for uh, the summer use uh, across the country. How many stations are actually making that move to offer E15? Will there be more coming? Because it is so late getting this uh, rule in place that it probably kept some from doing it this year. But are there plans already underway now for next year and in the future? We'll talk about that with Robert White. Lots of market news to talk about. USDA, for them, taking a big step in their reduction of the uh, corn yield estimate. We'll talk about it with Steve Nicholson with uh, Rabo AgriFinance and a number of ag groups and other food uh, organizations and industries uh, came together and sent letters of support for USMCA. Almost a thousand uh, sent in or signed on to that letter. Certainly the president took note of that yesterday in his trip to Iowa. We're going to talk with one of those, the president of one of those groups, Jim Baer, president and CEO of the U.S. Apple Association, will join us a little bit later on and talk about the importance of USMCA to his industry, the Apple industry as well as agriculture in general. So all that coming up on today's program. But first, let's start things off with Todd Neely from DTN. He was in Iowa for the big event yesterday. Todd, thanks for joining us. What was your big takeaway from yesterday? Well, yeah. Excuse me. Thanks, Mike. Um, You know, I I thought it was a really interesting, um, you know, the overall mood uh, in the crowd was very celebratory. Um, you know, one of the things I think uh, E15, even the past, you know, the finalization of the rule brought was maybe a bit of mental relief in, in, you know, some parts of rural America. And I think kind of saw that yesterday. You know, there hasn't been a whole lot to cheer about in agriculture, but it felt like uh, in that tent at the ethanol plant, um, a lot of people were kind of putting all that aside and just celebrating the moment. And I think uh, more than anything to have, you know, to have that kind of an event uh, at this time in agriculture, I thought was really kind of an interesting uh, juxtaposition to what's going on, um, you know, in, in this industry at this point. Yeah, we just need some positive news, and th- this uh, this kind of served that purpose, at least for yesterday. Uh, but there are concerns, of course, about the waivers, and I know some brought that up. Uh, was that discussed much yesterday? Well, you know, not by the president, but, uh, you know, we had we – had, uh, both of, we had a farmer step up, Kevin Ross, who's from Minden, Iowa. Uh, he was brought to the podium by the president, you know, to say a few words. There were a couple other speakers uh, that did the same, and he came right at the president, saying, "Mr. President, you know, we, you know, E15 is great, but we we have this concern about the small, you know, refinery waivers, and they're undermining the RFS." And um, the president had no response to that. But you know, we talked to others, Jeff Cooper to, at the RFA. Um, you know, Growth Energies, uh, Emily Score, we talked to others who are still uh, really having a big concern about that issue. And I and I don't suspect, you know, whether the president, it was, I thought it was an interesting juxtaposition there, the president uh, touting the success of the E-15 rule, uh, you know, and the E-15 rule, as you know, it's, gonna, it's facing a legal fight now. Um, but then at the same time, uh, you know, we've got, we've got these waivers that are ongoing and the EPA making the case, you know, many times uh, that they have to follow legal precedent on it. So I thought it was an interesting juxtaposition that, you know, we had this, you know, big celebration on E15, uh, and, you know, it's, it's fight, facing a legal battle, and on the same hand, we have no talk of the waiver situation. Um, we'll see what happens from here, but it, it, to me it seems like uh, at some point the president's going to have to address this, at least politically. There's also some news in that uh, the administration taking efforts uh, to remove some regulation that could help uh, with some biotech approvals and things like that. Yeah, uh, he signed an executive order at the tail end of that event yesterday. Um, I'm not entirely sure what what that's all going to entail, but, you know, 
we hear a lot of a lot of issues when it comes to biotech and and uh, you know how the, you know the time that it takes to get approval through the federal government on, on various things and uh, I think as we go forward you know the president's probably going to be um, in, a, in a position where he's he's going to have to be signing some executive orders that at least uh, you know open open different avenues for agriculture and I think you know the biotech thing is certainly one of those um, you know we have concerns with weed control we have a lot of different issues going on in the industry as it relates to biotech. So anything that the president can do to, uh, you know, kind of free some of those things up, I think that's a good thing. So what was the talk? What was the buzz in the crowd? Uh, was it a pretty positive uh, vibe there at the event? Absolutely. You know, I think, uh, you know, as I said, I think people are, <clears throat> are really looking for some good news and a celebration. And you could tell um, – People are just excited to have a presidential visit. You know, anytime a president shows up, you know, in particular at an ethanol plant, because it's you know it's a it's a fairly small operation in the scheme of things. But I say we had about a thousand people at that event yesterday, and I I think um, you know it's just it's just good when the, when the president comes around, especially now at this point. And there's no doubt it's a it's a political event uh, for not only the president in his re-election bid, but for those opposing him running for president. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we had Joe Biden in Iowa as well yesterday, and, you know, the president did make some remarks about Joe Biden. And, uh, you know, I, I think, I, I honestly think, that, you know, that the president is starting his campaign as we speak. And, you know, he he said he hasn't really started, but this, I think, yesterday was one of those first shots across the bow. And, you know, he called out Democrats for not getting E-15 done sooner um, you know, so yeah, I think that's where we are at this point. I think this is the beginning of the of the his, his run for president. And of course, there's still the concerns about the trade issues and uh, and where we're at uh, as far as uh, getting USMCA passed. And he certainly made note of the fact that a number of ag groups signed on to a letter of support of USMCA. Certainly, yeah, and you know, he he did put some pressure on on Congress yesterday. He, he said that during the event. You know, it's ready to go. You know, the agreement's ready to go. It's up to you. And, um, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, I think you're right. I think with all, with all these ag groups signing on, I mean, this is a, an enormous number of ag groups uh, pressing for the passage of this. I, I, I think politically, um, you know, it's probably a good thing regardless of where you stand, you know, either left or right. But um, I suspect that we're probably going to see some action on that on that agreement sometime soon. Yeah. Yeah, he, the administration has to file the paperwork to officially get things started. So it uh, sounds like maybe we're ramping up towards that. All right, Todd. Well, thanks a lot. Right. We'll watch your coverage uh, on DTN. The, the story, your story is about the big event yesterday. Thanks a lot. Yeah, thank you, Mike. All right. DTN reporter Todd Neely, he was at the uh, event in Iowa yesterday with the president at the ethanol plant. We'll talk more about that and the, just what impact will E15 sales have this summer. We'll talk about that with Robert White with Renewable Fuels Association. That's next here on AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Soybean growers are going all in on Ingenia herbicide. Now BASF is going all in on Ingenia growers. We're so confident in the performance of this solution, we're now backing it with the Ingenia herbicide weed control guarantee so you can have true peace of mind. And you can tap into our expanded Grow Smart Rewards program and get cash back. Go all in today at IngeniaHerbicide.com. Grow smart with BASF. Always read and follow label directions. Do you know how to keep food safe at home? Clean, separate, cook, and chill. The easy lessons of clean, separate, cook, and chill will help you protect your family and be food safe. Let's talk about how to really cook. First, you can't tell it's done by how it looks. Use a food thermometer. Then, always stir, rotate the dish, and cover food when microwaving to prevent cold spots where bacteria can survive. Fast cooking should still be safe cooking. And bring sauces, soups, and gravies to a rolling boil when reheating. 
Even for the most experienced cooks, the improper heating and preparation of food means bacteria can survive. Food safety risks at home are more common than most people think. The USDA is your partner in being food safe. Clean, separate, cook, and chill. For more information, visit BeFoodSafe.gov or call 1-888-MP-HOTLINE. You're going to need me. You're going to need us. All of us. You're going to need our technical skills. Our math. Our engineering skills. You're going to need our help with your water. Your air. Your food. You're going to need our organizational skills. Our problem-solving skills. You're going to need our determination. Our honesty. Our compassion. You're going to need the next generation of leaders to face the challenges the future will bring. And we promise we'll be there when you need us. Today, 4-H is growing the next generation of leaders. Support us at 4-H.org. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Text and catch the bus. Text and miss your stop. Wait, 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 wait. Text and be late to work. Sorry, I'm late. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. <clears throat> Who, me? Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. <sighs> Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Ugh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. It may have seemed like the entire ethanol industry was in Iowa yesterday for the president's visit, but... uh, Truth be, a good chunk of the industry was also at a meeting in Indianapolis, the Fuel Ethanol Workshop. Robert White, senior, uh, rather vice president of industry relations for the Renewable Fuels Association, joins us now. He's in Indianapolis. Uh, Robert, I know that even though you were there in Indianapolis, uh, um, everyone's eyes and attention was kind of drifting to Iowa yesterday to hear and see what the president was saying and uh, uh, talk about E15. Well, it was, in fact, uh, the case here in Indy. We we actually had the audio and, and video playing from the booth and the, the, the pulse and vibe of the entire trade show and conference came to a, a, a quick halt as everyone tuned in to listen to the president and the other speakers, uh, you know, deliver their address from Sire. And it was a, a great day for the industry. It's always a unique opportunity when you have the president of the United States involved and uh, RFA was sure proud to be a part of that. Obviously, we're a, a, a stature here at the Fuel Ethanol Workshop as well. Got a couple thousand folks uh, more on the technical side, but a lot of information being discussed here. Okay, so Robert, you're you're in constant contact with those on the ground, the retailers, uh, uh, the fuel retailers across the country. Uh, you're working with those that uh, are uh, currently. Uh, carrying E15, as well as working with those uh, looking at it into the future. For this summer, how much of an impact, how much of an increase do you think we will actually see in the amount of E15 sold, uh, the stations offering it, or did the announcement come, the final rule come too late to make a big jump in those numbers this year? Well, I think you're going to most likely see a double of volume sold of E15 this year over say 2018 but it's mostly going to come from the stations that are already offering it 
that were allowed to continue offering it during the busiest uh, you know driving season of the of the year. So I think that's where the bulk of that volume is going to come from. You obviously are going to see uh, some new stations. Casey's, for example, said that they were going to speed up their rollout a little bit thanks to the rulemaking being final. I think they wanted to get 60 done by the end of summer uh, that they don't have online right now. And there's others, of course, uh, still going to be a little wait and see. You already had a lawsuit filed uh, from AFPM. They've already suggested that they will file injunctions. And while we don't expect any of those really to be successful, the problem is if you are a, a station owner, how much capital are you willing to invest without that known security? And so I think we're still going to have some wait and see. Uh, but I think the opportunity for E15 this summer is really going to be from the existing retailers or the ones that already had plans, and the rest are going to come on slowly but surely. Well, that's interesting because um, we kind of expected this because the, the rule came right at the deadline. Fortunately, it got done in time, but it was hard for retailers to really plan ahead and, and make those decisions until they knew for sure, right? Right, right. I mean, it, you know, some of these stations are very simple, uh, have simple paths to offering E15 and, and very little capital expense. Others are greenfield stations or uh, drastic renovations where they're going in and replacing uh, or upgrading their stations uh, for other reasons, but also adding E15. Uh, so, you know, if you were waiting on, you know, perhaps ordering a certain setup for a dispenser or perhaps adding another tank, to offer E15, you know, you're, you're going to wait for a little more uh, security and a little more signal from the government and, you know, to compound that with, uh, you know, the concern over any of the lawsuits that if they're big enough to have a legal department, they probably tap the brakes. We're talking with Robert White, Vice President, Industry Relations for the Renewable Fuels Association. So, Robert, are you hearing from retailers now that are seriously looking at offering E15 moving forward? Absolutely, and, and there's a lot of things going on. You have some of the tankage that's out there in the late 80s and early 90s when EPA kind of came through and said we, we would love to reduce the number of underground storage tanks under underneath the concrete at these fuel stations, and so we went to more compartmentalized tanks. That's really where the blender technology came from, uh, you know, combining premium and unleaded to make the mid-grade versus having a, a true mid-grade tank. Those really all were on a kind of a 30-year warranty, 30-year plan. Well, we're right on top of that. You also have the switch and payment method, the Euro MasterCard Visa, where the dispensers have to be able to use the new chip and pin credit card and have that extra layer of security by October of 2020. And about 60% of the dispensers out there are not ready for that. So you're going to see some electronic upgrades, but you're also going to see a lot of new dispensers. So all of those are perfect opportunities to help them, uh, you know, convince them, if you will, to add those ethanol, those higher ethanol blends like E15, E85, or maybe even a mid-level blend while they're uh, putting in that capital. So there's a lot of uh, unique opportunities coming forward on, on our behalf, and, and we're definitely making sure the retailers are, are well uh, well prepared. Yeah, how do you work with those retailers? Uh, what's available to them to help them make that uh, move? Well, we actually have the in-house talent now to do station assessments. Uh, we hired someone out of the uh, petroleum equipment business a couple years back, and she can dive through the state available data and do truly a equipment analysis from from her desk and doesn't even have to be on the ground. And we've done over 2,000 of those in the last 18 months, saving retailers millions of dollars. It's not the... Uh, end-all, be-all for their equipment uh, compatibility. But if they have 10 stations and they want to try E15, we help guide that decision process on which would be the best fit. Um, but we've had chains of several hundred stations come to us and ask for uh, guidance on which stations would be most appropriate based on you know population, flex fuel vehicles, uh, traffic, local regulations, or in particular, uh, which state would be better. So we have those that are disposable, uh, disposable, but we also have our E15 retailer handbook. That's our really our technical backstop. That I can't, I wouldn't guess how many we've given out of those over the last seven years. But we have the resources that any retailer would possibly need, and we handhold them all the way to the first consumer. Without 
getting too deep into the weeds here on a technical standpoint, what's the uh, emphasis there at the fuel ethanol workshop? Well, it's it's all technology, Mike. I mean, these the ethanol industry, as as all your listeners know, uh, is struggling, just like agriculture as a whole. And the I think we maybe have a record number of general managers. A lot of my board members are here, walking the aisles, looking at the 300 plus vendors that what technology is next. And as you you've been around long enough, you know that in the old days we really made three products: we made ethanol, we made distillers grains, and CO2. And now the diversification and, and making sure that when times are tough, that not only are you making the lowest cost gallon possible, but you have other products that you're making out of these facilities to help uh, you know minimize that financial impact. And just a lot of new stuff coming out, uh, everything from the yeast to the enzymes to the actual hard equipment. It's uh, phenomenal to see where this industry has gone. Meanwhile, the the typical scare tactics and uh, misinformation is is flowing, isn't it, about E15? Well, E15 and, and more so now with uh, corn bumped up a little bit, uh, thanks to Mother Nature, we're even hearing food versus fuel. Uh, so Again, it, yeah. This is not going to stop, and the, the fortunate thing is we've been through this before. Uh, the unfortunate part is they have a lot of money to really blast this out, and we have a whole new generation of people that have never heard it. Uh, so we're, we are preparing uh, for that battle. As, like I said, Mother Nature has caused some stress on, on the corn side of things. Uh, and, and we'll no doubt, you know, ethanol and ethanol's price has been impacted too. So now we're raising fuel prices, even though we've, we're the reason that they've been down all this, long, all this time. But E15 is no different. It's, you know, destroy your car, destroy your boat. You won't be able to tell which which fuel option is appropriate, and we continue to work with the retailers, the EPA itself, and actually with a lot of those constituents, the motorcycle groups, the boaters, and to, to help them understand this is an orange and black label that has to be on the pump. In fact, the ethanol industry has to fund the inspection program that goes out and makes sure those labels are on the pump. It is not that difficult to, ver- to know which fuel you can and can't use. And so uh, it's, it's going to be a long process. It's always about education. As you say, we've heard it before, but some haven't, so here we go again. All right, Robert, thanks for the update, and uh, look forward to talking with you more about E15 and more and more retailers offering it. Thank you very much. Thanks, Mike. Have a great day. You too. Robert White, Vice President, Industry Relations with the Renewable Fuels Association. He joins us from the Fuel Ethanol Workshop going on in Indianapolis. All right, up next, we have uh, some more news from USDA lowering the estimated corn yield and we have lots to talk about market wise with steve nicholson with robo agrifinance coming up next on aoa hi this is mike adams you're listening to aoa adams on agriculture don't go away more adams on agriculture coming right up Recently on Adams on Agriculture. So we just talked with Nick Giordano with the National Pork Producers Council. Obviously, they are ecstatic that the uh, metal tariffs on Canada and Mexico have been lifted. We can talk about that as well with Colin Woodall for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Colin, this was looked at as a, a must-have to get USMCA moving forward, and I know you at NCBA are happy to have uh, those tariffs lifted. We're extremely happy to see these tariffs lifted now, we're in a little bit different shape from our friends in the pork industry because they were really getting hammered with the tariffs. But we were also, though, however, really pushing to try to get these tariffs taken down because we knew if we wanted to have a chance of getting a vote on USMCA, the tariffs were going to have to be a part of this deal. So the fact that this is done uh, earlier is, I think, going to be overall very beneficial to uh, the process of getting a vote and finally passing USMCA and putting this chapter behind us. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Soybean growers are going all in on Ingenia herbicide. Now BASF is going all in on Ingenia growers. We're so confident in the performance of this solution, we're now backing it with the Ingenia herbicide weed control guarantee so you can have true peace of mind. 
And you can tap into our expanded Grow Smart Rewards program and get cash back. Go all in today at IngeniaHerbicide.com. Grow Smart with BASF. Always read and follow label directions. Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Now that yesterday's WASD report from USDA is out of the way, showing us that wet weather of the past month has taken a bite out of U.S. corn production potential this season, traders now looking at the upcoming weather forecast in the Midwest for the West. Scattered showers and thunderstorms, temperatures near to below normal, drier conditions in the East, temperatures variable. Frequent but more limited rainfall in the Midwest should allow for improvement in planting progress, but near to below normal temperatures will reduce growing degree day accumulations. In corn futures, we continue to rally an hour into Wednesday's session. July corn up three and a half at 431 and a quarter. December up three at 450. July soybeans up 12 and a quarter, 871 and a half. November 899 up 12. Chicago wheat July up four and a quarter at 522 and a quarter. Kansas City July up three at 460 and a half. Minneapolis spring wheat defensive. July down five and a half at 564. September down four and a half at 573 and a half cent. Cotton trending 31 to 52 points higher. Live cattle futures June down seven cents at 110.60. August down 50 at 106.32. Feeder cattle August down 75 at 137.37. Lean hog futures July unchanged 84.32. Back months in the market 25 to a dollar 22 lower. Today's hog slaughter estimated at 477,000 head, more than 446 a year ago. Outside markets on Wall Street fairly quiet. The Dow is down seven points. Nasdaq down 26. S&P down three. July crude oil in New York down a dollar 20. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Sometimes life is wonderful and sometimes it's not. Cherish the good, but always be prepared for life's challenges. At Private Healthcare, we provide the peace of mind you deserve. With Private Healthcare, you'll get the coverage you want and healthcare you need. If your employer doesn't supply healthcare coverage and you don't qualify for Medicare or Medicaid, you need to give us a call right now. Private health care is private health insurance for ages 65 and under with medical, dental, vision, and even prescription coverage. When life comes at you unexpectedly, you need to be ready. And health insurance is your financial safety net. If you're looking for health coverage at the best price and your annual household income is 35000 or more, give us a call at 800-664-2612. That's 800-664-2612. 800-664-2612. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Well, we're still waiting, of course, for a lot of details on the market facilitation uh, payments. Uh, We did get a little bit of information as Undersecretary Ted McKinney appeared before members of Congress, and they had a lot of questions for him about how this program is going to work. He did give us a little indication of what to expect, saying that... Um, the current $16 billion package is right now under review by the Office of Management and Budget. And he also said, McKinney said at the House Ag Committee hearing on trade issues that um, the new payments to farmers could be based on multiple years of production, saying we have changed how that's calculated. It's not just a one-year look back. It's looking back over several years. So, Uh, We're still waiting to learn about county rates and a lot of other information. First round of the expected three rounds of these payments expected by August. So uh, we continue to wait for information, but got a little bit there uh, of the thinking of the administration of how this may work. All right. Meanwhile, yesterday, USDA, for them, pretty big move, uh, adjusting the anticipated 
corn yield for this year. Let's talk about that and more market issues with Steve Nicholson, grain and oilseed analyst for Robo AgriFinance. Steve, thanks for joining us. That was a pretty, for USDA, a pretty significant move yesterday. Yeah, good morning, Mike. Yes, it was, and I think I was, I think analysts were all over the place on that, and I, I would be, I'm kind of in your camp, I was a little surprised at how aggressive they were right out of the bat, but I think USDA recognized, you know, right off, you know, right, recognized pretty quickly that they had, you know, they, we've got an issue, they've got to deal with it, and as we were talking here in the office this morning, they have a little more insight to what, you know, they're seeing on the ground because they have people in every county, and so they can, they can look at that a little bit closer than maybe you and I can um, going forward. So, you know, and then the fact that they, you know, probably they know that acreage is going to get go down a little bit further, um, and I think it was surprising, too, they took yield down as much as they did, but, you know, they can come back and readjust, probably more willing to come back and readjust yield than they are to readjust acreage going forward. But they dropped the estimated yield by about 10 bushels, right? Yeah, they dropped it to 166, which is a big drop, mm-hmm. and I think one that we were kind of surprised at, um, that, you know, I think that they would drop it that far, because it doesn't, you know, I haven't done all the work yet, I've been traveling, and see how they came to that number and i don't know that anybody of us really know that but when you look at you know the the 176 yield was kind of the 1990 to 2018 trend line if you look at the 1960 to the current trend line yield it's about 172 bushels so the 166 is a little bit of a mystery to me as to where that came from but um they may have looked at a longer term yield and done it that way but again it's a big drop and it it does make a a fairly significant change in the s and d and I think there are probably more changes yet to come. Still hard to really get our hands around and our, and wrap our heads around even uh, the number of acres that will not be planted this year. Yeah, we've we've it's a difficult number at best. And <clears throat> excuse me, and I think that we've we've spent a lot of time here in the office, um, both as analysts and we talked to our crop insurance agents here late last week, um, who pretty much you know, kind of cover the whole corn belt and kind of got a feel as to what they're seeing on the ground. And, and granted, some of that can be a limited area, but they do cover fairly significant geographic regions. And I think the, I think the surprises, you know, I, I think everyone knows kind of what the eastern corn belt's doing. I do, in talking with them early this week, Illinois made some good progress over the weekend, and I'm sure as you sit in Illinois, you've seen that as well. Um, but I think one of the bigger surprises might be South Dakota. Um, they it's been so wet there for so long, and I think you know, at this point we're looking at a fairly substantial number of acres that didn't get planted in South Dakota. Now, the only thing that we have heard that maybe is going to be hard to kind of get a handle on is that, particularly like in South Dakota, where a lot, if they're grain farmers, they've, they're done, they've, they've quit planting corn. But one of the comments made to us was that livestock farmers, particularly cattle, obviously, in that part of the world, you know, have kept planting corn because they've got to have it. Um, and they're concerned about being able to buy it later on. So there is, there is some of that still going on in areas, depending on what your situation is. But I think South Dakota would be one to watch going forward as to what that acreage number finally become, you know, ends up there. We have seen this corn market uh, moving up and down, uh, and some have wondered why it has just taken off more than it has. What are your thoughts on the corn market and where we're headed? Yeah, I think there's... It's a great question, and it's one we're debating here this morning. And um, there's a couple things, and I'm gonna let's talk about the technicals first. You know, if you look at that 448, 450 area, it is a huge move to get above that. And if you do get above that, then you open up the you know open up the upside above five dollars on the board. So technically, the area that we're you know we're kind of pounding against right now is is a tough area to get through. And, and you know, I think that. Yesterday, I was a little surprised with the with what USDA did that we didn't get through there. Uh, but if you do get through there again, like I said, we go we get substantially higher, and you put fives in front of futures numbers. The fact still remains, even with yesterday's cut in USDA, and, and you know that's what the trade's looking at. With it, that's what the trade's going to trade. You still got 1.6 billion bushels carryover, and so the market's not you know the market hasn't quite been concerned enough yet that, oh, we don't have enough corn to get through the year. But I do believe, you know, the other the other half of that is, and like we've talked before, is the market's thinking very quickly, you know, is looking at this and going, yeah, we've heard you cry wolf before about, oh, it's too dry in Missouri, and oh, we don't have a corn crop, 
or, or you know, it was a wet spring. We've had wet springs a lot, it seems like, lately, and we still produce a big corn crop. And so the market's looking at this going, okay, yeah, you'd make a cut yesterday. We still got 1.6 billion bushels, so why, am I, why should I get excited and, and crank this market up yet? They're a little bit, you know, they're all acting like they're from Missouri and, you know, show me. So that makes it tough. I, I can almost hear some yes. people thinking, of, if I got corn, I'm going to hang on and see if that we get to that $5 corn. Uh, and of course, there's also the concern you're looking out at a field. Even if it is planted, it's way behind where it normally is, and you're going to be concerned about how much uh, yield you're actually going to have. It makes uh, pulling the trigger on some of those marketing uh, decisions even tougher. Yeah, no, absolutely right. I mean, it, the farmer is in a particularly tough spot now. If he's got something planted, it may not look very good, um, and so he's boy. I don't want to. I don't want to pull the trigger on too much. Now, you know, you don't sell the whole farm, so you do. Typically, you'll get something out of that field. So think about what it is there, and think about can you do some marketing to cover your costs? You know, your sunk costs already. Um, you know, we're in the job of managing. We're in the we're in the position or in the job of managing margins, and we certainly encourage producers to look at this and go, you know, can I is there a margin in selling corn now? Um, yes, there is some. There is some problems out there, but I think that's where you have to think about managing that margin. What can you sell to cover those costs, and then move forward from there? And then, is you know, you, the market could go higher, but we also reminded this is a weather market, and as weather markets go, they can be quick ups and quick downs. And you know, if we would, you know, this forecast, um, like right before we came on the air. You know, the forecast is a little better, and I think it's, you know, that's sort of a relative term right now. There is still rain in the forecast. It's cool, and that is a concern because we really do need heat degree days now because we're so far behind. Um, and, of course, you know, the fact is if we don't get them and then we get, you know, the, the proverbial early frost, then we're really in, in a bad spot. But I think I would certainly encourage producers to, you know, do the math, look at their margins, look at their sunk costs, think about where they are, and then also make sure that they have a good conversation with, you know, whoever they're, who's ever helping with their marketing, and also, you know, talk to their elevator, you know, who's who's their buyer, and make sure that they have that conversation. So, you know, they've kind of covered all the options or all the possibilities there. Beans are still getting planted. Where do you see this bean market going? I think the bean market is. <clears throat> there's probably. I don't think it's going to have a lot of legs to the upside. I think just the fact is that you've got. You know, it's moved a dollar a bushel, and you're thinking, wow, that's a lot. <clears throat> but the corn markets, if you look from top to bottom, it's moved a <coughs> dollar as well. And so you look at that and think, you know, that's a much bigger move in corn than it is beans relative. You still you have a billion bushel carryover beans now, both this year and forecast for next year. I did some just back-of-the-envelope math the, earlier this week and say, said, what would it take? This is before the billion, the billion bushel carryover. You'd have to take 10, I'm sorry, you have to take out 12 million acres of beans just to kind of cut, cut the ending stocks in half. So we'd have to see a big move on, we'd have to see a big move in beans to, tr- you know, to try to see any upside with beans. And the fact is that the Chinese and the U.S. are not talking right now. It doesn't help, it doesn't help that situation either. So that's, that's all troubling as far as beans go. You know, people are planting beans out there, um, but I think it's, There'll be some people have been, you know, wore out from last winter, last fall, and now this spring, and just said, you know, if I can get prevent plant, I'm going to go home and call it good. That kind of depends quickly, on owner. Yep, go ahead. Yeah, and quickly, uh, while we're looking at how high some of these prices could go, the other side of that, it, it makes us less competitive uh, in the world market. Well, that's right, and you know, people are talking about the value of the dollar versus our competitors, and it continues to be strong. And the fact is that their prices are lower, and it just makes us more uncompetitive in the world. And that's we that's in some ways that's almost the last thing we need. It's just like one more. You hate to say it, but kind of a nail in the coffin. About it's hard to be optimistic about exports. So that's why we're. Con- I mean, that's part of my concern about why we see a quick upturn and a quick downturn if the weather turns or exports continue to get hurt bad. And we saw that in 2012 when corn prices got high. You know, we more than cut corn exports more than in half. So I think that's something we have to consider as well. Yeah, that's the other side of it for sure. Steve, thanks right. a lot. I know you're on the road a lot these days. Safe travels. We'll talk again soon. Thank you, Mike. Good to talk to you as always. Bye-bye. Steve Nicholson, Grain and Oil Seeds Analyst for Rabo AgriFinance. Up next, the U.S. Apple Association, one of many ag groups, 
endorsing and urging the passage of USMCA. We'll talk with the president and CEO of the U.S. Apple Association. Jim Baer joins us next on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Have you written a book and want to get it published? Then call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 immediately. That's 800-955-4538. Page Publishing is looking for authors of all types of books. And unlike most publishers, Page Publishing will take the time to review each and every book submitted to them and give you their feedback. If they like what they read, they'll get your book into bookstores and for sale online at Amazon, the Apple iTunes Store, Barnes & Noble, and other outlets. They handle everything. Editing, cover design, copyright protection, printing, publicity, and distribution. So if you've written a novel, children's book, cookbook, inspirational work, poetry, or a biography and want to get it published, then you need to call Page Publishing and do it immediately. Call 800-955-4538 now for your free author submission kit. Again, for your free author submission kit, call 800-955-4538. That's 800-955-4538. Your road to fame and fortune could very well start with this simple phone call. Call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 for your free author submission kit. My mom's a breast cancer survivor. The United Breast Cancer Foundation saved her life. Their free breast cancer exam caught the cancer early, and it saved her life. But now the foundation needs your help so they can continue offering free or low-cost breast screening exams, saving more women's lives. Help them by donating your car, whether it's running or not. They'll provide fast, free 24-hour pickup, and you receive a charitable tax deduction, plus the great feeling you'll get knowing your donated car is going to help save more lives. Just call 800-745-3327 to set the wheels in motion. They take cars, trucks, vans, and SUVs running or not. Call 800-745-3327. The United Breast Cancer Foundation needs your help, and your donation could literally save women's lives, helping them catch breast cancer early like they did with my mom. Donate today, 800-745-3327, 800-745-3327. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, talking with Maggie Elowani with the National Rural Health Association. Maggie, you talked about the number of rural hospitals closing. Are we also seeing uh, mergers, takeovers uh, happening uh, within the uh, rural hospital system as well? We certainly are, and there's been an increase in mergers, and, and some of those have been very positive. They've helped some small rural providers with the cash flow they need to keep their doors open. Others, and this is really frustrating, have purchased some of these facilities only to close them a short time afterwards. So simply being bought out and merging with another facility doesn't mean that we're going to be able to ensure access to care in those rural communities. So we really need kind of a long-term strategy of really thinking about why these hospitals are closing and what we need to do to change them. And it's because there have been so many different cuts that have occurred to these hospitals. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Want to reduce your risk of heart disease, diabetes, and stroke? Simple. Eat right. This is registered dietitian nutritionist Melissa Dobbins. A healthy diet can mean a healthier you. So eat a variety of proteins each week. Seafood, lean meat, poultry, beans, and nuts. Fill half your plate with fruits and vegetables at every meal. Choose foods that are lower in calories, fat, and sodium. Limit your alcohol and maintain a healthy weight. Let a registered dietitian nutritionist help you achieve your goals. Find one near you at eatright.org. If you suffer from heartburn or other digestive-related disorders, then there is a new, safe, better, and natural alternative to better digestive wellness and heartburn relief. Praxid not only provides relief of heartburn, but Praxid takes a 360-degree approach to support better digestion, protect you from harmful bacteria, and also balance your stomach to improve digestive functions. We like to think of it as the multivitamin of digestive health. It's the only product to combine all natural ingredients known for the digestive health properties into a single patented product. Praxid also comes in easy-to-carry packs. Praxid relieves, restores, and maintains a healthy digestive system. Praxid is available here for only $39.95. Shipping and handling is free, and your money back is guaranteed. To take advantage of this special radio offer, call now, 1-800-829-5705. That's 1-800-829-5705. Again, 1-800-829-5705. 
Hi, I'm Greg Peterson of the Peterson Farm Brothers. If you've seen our videos, you know we're proud to be farmers. Farming can be dangerous. Never assume location or depth of underground utilities or pipelines. Before you start any work on your farm, call 811 or visit clickbeforeyoudig.com to have underground lines located. It only takes a minute and can save your life. Never assume the location or depth of underground lines. Always call 811 or visit clickbeforeyoudig.com before you start work. A message from the Pipeline Operators for Ag Safety Campaign. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. All right, so a few other items uh, to bring up and... uh, keep you up to date on senate finance chair chuck grassley said yesterday that he's going ahead with legislation he's talked about this for some time now and he's been working on it he wants to uh, bring in rein in the president's uh, power to put on these tariffs he told us uh, he doesn't blame the president he blames congress for letting the president have that much power and ceding the control over this issue uh, uh, from congress to the president Uh, But there hasn't been much uh, drop-off in support in Iowa, evidently, uh, for the president, uh, for farmers in that state that voted for him by a a strong margin. But still, there is that growing concern about the use of tariffs. So we'll see if this goes anywhere in Congress or not. Meanwhile, we're still looking for details on this U.S.-Mexico trade deal, especially when it comes to ag, because the president said... Mexico would be buying tons more of ag goods, and now then we started hearing that that was not necessarily the case, so we're still waiting to uh, get more information on that, uh, and that information has been slow in coming. Um, many saying they just don't have any details on that as of yet, so we'll continue to watch and see um, what may have been in that deal and the president also talking about the possibility of still tariffs uh, down the line if uh, if he's not happy with how mexico uh, lives up or does not live up to their part of the bargain in that deal so we'll have to wait and see how that plays out still looking for a tax extenders package in congress especially the biodiesel industry needs that the biodiesel tax credit but uh, They're still working on it. The tax extenders plan for Ways and Means Chair Richard Neal from Massachusetts would boost also disaster relief provisions and change some other parts of the tax code. But uh, those on the GOP side, those tax writers are not on board with that. So uh, we continue to wait and see if uh, anything comes out of that uh, out of Congress this year on a tax extenders package long overdue, especially for the biodiesel industry. All right, so we mentioned this earlier. Close to 1,000 groups signed uh, on to a letter of support urging the passage of USMCA, ag groups, food, industry organizations, so almost 1,000. It got the president's attention, certainly. He used that to help push uh, Congress towards passage of USMCA. One of those groups, part of that, the U.S. Apple Association, and their president and CEO, Jim Baer, joins us now. Jim, thanks for being with us Um why, in, in your case, in your segment of uh, agriculture, the U.S. apple industry, why is USMCA so important to your industry? How do you see it helping? Well, it's good to be with you again, Mike. And our story is the same as it is for just about every uh, agriculture group across the country, not just in crops, but in the uh, livestock sector as well. And your listeners certainly know that agricultural vitality depends on exports and and. In the case of the North American market, U.S., Canada, and Mexico, over the last 25 years, our ag exports to those two neighbors have quadrupled under a free trade uh, regime. And annually, we're exporting about $40 billion worth of ag products to Mexico and Canada every year, and uh, in fact, a half a billion dollars in apples alone. And we know that free trade across the North American uh, market, supports 900,000 jobs. So that's why we joined, and we're happy to join with those uh, other organizations to uh, call on Congress to ratify the USMCA as quickly as possible. 
I would think that many groups, you know, in support of USMCA has to carry some weight. I would think that would get the attention of Congress. We certainly think that's the case, and uh, I've been doing this kind of work for a long time, Mike, and I have never seen even a fraction of that many organizations come together and unite on an issue like they have uh, in supporting passage of the USMCA and get back to doing what ag does best, and that's producing uh, tremendous quality products and exporting them around the world. So uh, we were happy to, to be a part of that group. So now the administration has to submit the paperwork and actually get this thing moving, right? That's correct. They've notified Congress that they are uh, taking that first step, and there's some legal uh, procedural hoops that have to be jumped through. But the important thing is that even though Congress is pretty fractured on a lot of things these days, but there's a fairly wide understanding of the importance of coming together to pass uh, this USMCA and, and we're glad to see that momentum building. We were glad to see the president, as you mentioned, uh, tweeted out a message of thanks and support to agriculture for uh, coming together like we have on, in supporting the USMCA. And in fact, we would encourage all of your listeners to contact their representatives in Congress and urge them to vote yes on USMCA. It's just too important to not do it, and the, the prospects of Losing those those markets is just too terrible to uh, to contemplate. So we're working night and day to try to make it happen. Jim, real quick, many of us are not real familiar with the the U.S. Apple uh, industry as far as how how it's going market wise, economics, things like that. What is the state of your industry right now? Well, we've had a couple of good years. We've had a good run. Um, we had a uh, a good crop last year. But we're so dependent on exports, just like many of your listeners in other segments of ag who don't know anything about the apple industry. And we export about a third of our crop, and that's true of most ag sectors. Um, for us, that's about a billion dollars a year, and um, our exports year over year are down about a third. So that's that's cost us, uh, you know, in excess of three hundred million dollars just in our little corner of the uh, of the marketplace. So we're uh, we're nervously uh, looking forward to another crop that will start here in a couple of months, and that's why we're so anxious to just get this free trade uh, agreement signed and get back to doing what we what we do best. You know, we, we were successful as an industry getting the steel and aluminum tariffs lifted, and now we need to move forward on that. Yeah, we need, uh, we need some good news here, some positive news, uh, and a lot at stake with this USMCA deal. Jim, thanks. Good to talk with you again. You too, Mike. Thanks. Uh-huh. Jim Baer, President and CEO of the U.S. Apple Association. Well, lots more to talk about tomorrow, including immigration. Hope you'll join us right here on AOA.